Hi there, it's Joe. I am the composer of the theme that you hear at the top and tail of every episode and all the other music throughout the show. Sarah's given me special permission to use a mic, yay, and let you know that my debut album is out. It's called Nobody Joins a Cult and it's available via Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, most places that you find your music. It's an instrumental album, kind of post-rock, built from all the music I've made for the show over the past few years. I'd be honoured if you'd check it out and spread the word if you enjoy it. Just search up Joe Gould, that's J-O-E-G-O-U-L-D, Nobody Joins a Cult. Rosanna Overcomer was born into Gloria Vale's previous incarnation when it was the Christian church at Springbank. She moved with her parents as the group became the Gloria Vale Christian community and grew up there before marrying a man named Elijah. While Elijah was ousted from the community a number of times, Rosanna refused to contemplate that the belief system she had grown up in could be wrong. But when leaders moved her around to keep her from her husband, Rosanna found a gift in the space it gave her to realise that she wasn't about to stop loving Elijah and wanted to remain married to him whether he was in the community or not. When she watched a documentary about Jonestown, she started asking herself some bigger questions about controlling religious organisations as well. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we get into this episode, a content warning. This podcast deals with issues that some people may find disturbing, related to trauma, emotional abuse and controlling behaviours. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening too. Gloria Val Christian Community has been in the news recently in New Zealand for court cases around labour and servitude, and there are other cases happening as well. To understand more about the history of the organisation, you can listen to our two-part episode about the group from April 2021. Rosanna Overcomer recently celebrated 10 years out of Gloria Vale at the end of March 2023. She left at the age of 27, with her husband and three small children. Together they now have six children, and Rosanna is passionate about helping those still in Gloria Vale and those who have left. I was so pleased to speak with her about her experiences and the ways that she uses them now to support others. Rosanna, thanks so much for joining me. It's a real pleasure to speak with you today. So first of all, can you share a brief overview of your history with Gloria Vale and how you come to be speaking with me today? Hi, lovely to be speaking with you as well. I feel really privileged to be on your podcast. I was born into Gloria Vale. Gloria Vale started actually at Springbank. I was born in that community and I only moved to the Gloria Vale community when I was nearly 10. My parents joined Springbank and were married as part of that church in the early days. And then when they purchased Gloria Vale, our family was one of the last to move over there. We stayed on at Springbank until the property was sold or nearly sold to look after it with only a few other families. And how I come to be speaking to you today, I approached you after listening to your podcast for a long time and really finding a lot of almost comfort in in hearing other people's stories and knowing that I'm not alone on this journey, as well as really feeling a desire to for a lot of awareness needed with, throughout the world, really about this sort of thing and about what people can do to help. And so that's why I reached out to you. So thanks for having me on. 
Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And I mean, we briefly spoke before I, I hit record and I just, you know, it's it's only thanks to people like you who are willing to speak about their experiences and use them to try and help others that I really think the podcast can exist. So thank you. So a lot has happened over the last few years when it comes to Gloria Vale, which you know, from an Australian perspective, it's been really interesting to see because I think the authorities over there for a long time had looked into bits and pieces in a pretty disjointed way and kind of never really came to do anything about any of the issues that were apparent. So it sort of seems that the government and society in New Zealand are finally starting to recognise the reality of what goes on in an organisation like this. And I wondered if you could tell me a bit about the recent court cases and developments there. Mm-hmm. So there's been a couple of court cases that are publicised and one of them would have been the the boys' employment case where they found that the boys were in fact employees within Gloria Vale. And now there is one that has there hasn't been a judgment made on yet but has finished, well, the, the actual court case is finished and that's the girls' case. And it's a, a similar case but more looking towards servitude rather than employment for the women. And then besides that, there's been a civil lawsuit made. There's been there's human rights cases going on that aren't in the public eye. There's a lot of criminal cases going on and there's more to come. And that's yeah, that's been going on for years now, really. But prior to that there was a couple of investigations by charity services and NBIE, which really amounted to nothing. But yeah, I feel like we're starting to make some progress and gain traction in that sort of area. What do you think it is that shifted that allowed this traction to to occur? I actually think that the documentaries that Gloria Vale had made and put out were the beginning of their own end. They put them out into New Zealand and really brought a lot of awareness and to what was going on where there hadn't been a lot of attention before. So I can yeah, that's that's my opinion that they actually started the ball rolling. But then I think a lot of traction has been gained through the consistent pressure from people that have left in the last maybe 15 years, just not giving up, which is actually really hard when you speak to someone and you feel like you've told them, you know, you've poured out a lot of pain and then nothing happens and it's hard to carry on doing that. So to have people start to listen is is really helpful and encouraging. And I think once one thing happens, like that employment case with the boys, once that ruling got made, that kind of sets something in motion and sets a precedent for people to go, oh, hang on, what is going on there? So, yeah, I think it's just been that consistent pressure and people speaking up, just not being afraid to speak up or being afraid and doing it anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's incredible. And as you say, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do, particularly if people aren't listening. And I think it just really highlights the need for those outside to listen to people who exit and, and share their experiences and what, what they went through. Because yeah, it's so it's so common when you look at, you know, other cases of say sexual abuse or, you know, people who have been traumatized and then they have to go through a whole other system of being disbelieved and then becoming almost victimised again by the systems that should be there to protect them and help them. So, I mean, yeah, that I just have so much admiration for all of those leavers who have continued to speak out, maybe in spite of, you know, coming up maybe against a bit of a brick wall there. It's really interesting what you said about those documentaries bringing a lot more attention to Gloria Vale because I do remember when I watched them and I just thought, oh, you know, it looks like a wonderful community. I mean, that seems that seems lovely. And they were very popular in New Zealand as well, weren't they? Yeah. And so they gave a beautiful impression of this, this wonderful alternative living arrangement that people there had. But actually your impression is that that brought a lot more attention. And I guess perhaps is there something about those programs that made a bit more resolve in leavers who knew that the reality was actually very different from that? I think so. So there's the side of it bringing a lot more attention and people are just like, I think, hang on, what's going on here? And actually coming up to visit and that sort of thing a lot more. And then the other side of it is when people had left. So in my case, I was there when one of them was filmed, but I had left by the time it was aired. And like, <laughs> I, I can remember just watching it and thinking, this is just lies. Lie after lie after lie of you promoting something and putting something out to the world that is so untrue. 
and what's going on behind the scenes of this glossy show you're putting on, I knew I was there and I was very much a part of in that particular instance. And so, yes, it does spur people on to go, yeah, this is what you're showing the world, but actually, no, that's none of that's true. So I think you're right there. It did get people that had left kind of a little bit fired up, yeah. And many of the people who featured quite prominently in those programs have now left as well. Is that right? Yeah, they have actually. Most of them, I mean, not most, but a lot of them have. And it's funny too, I was thinking, I was looking at the Glory of Our website the other day. I often check it, see what if they've updated anything. And they normally have a video of someone making their commitment on there. And they had previously had a video of my brother when he made his commitment. This was years ago, and then he left, and they removed it. Then they put one on of Lilia, and that one was in one of the documentaries, but they removed that. And they have another one on there of somebody else who's now left. <laughs> it's everybody that they put on as their, you know, their kind of golden Gloravel person leaves, which is quite funny. Yeah. And so I wonder about your impression of whether you think it's possible for an organisation like Gloriavel to really change so that it might become a community that doesn't exert undue influence and control over the lives of its members. It's such a good question. I mean, I'd love to think that that was possible. I really would because the kind of ideal life of living a community life and caring and sharing for other people is a beautiful thing. And I think it could be, but I haven't seen it done successfully. That doesn't mean it's not possible. But I think for Gloravale to get to that, they'd actually have to change their whole basis of beliefs. They wouldn't say this is what they believe, but they don't value the individual. And they don't value, like God, I believe God made us all different for a reason. But they value unity over everything. And their interpretation of unity is actually uniformity. So because they value everybody being the same, doing the same thing, believing the same thing, they'd make them all look the same if possible, I believe. (laughs) They kind of have to change that to make progress further on down the track. And I don't know, that takes a lot of time. That takes changing your kind of deep set beliefs isn't just an overnight thing. So where I think a lot of change is possible I'm not sure that there can be that amount of change to make it an actual functioning, beautiful place. But, you know, never say never. (laughs) Anything might be possible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think you outline some very core reasons there why it is uh, an unlikely scenario, I suppose. Yeah, and I guess I'm the kind of person I don't like to, um, I don't know, I don't like to be down on people and say, no, you can never do that or that sort of thing. And the other side of it is there's a lot of people there that really sincerely believe it's the way that they're supposed to live. That's why they're there. And so to say you can't live like this, who am I to say that? I want it to be safe for them, but they have to make that decision themselves. Otherwise, I'm doing to them what the leaders have done to them. You know, the leaders have said this is the only lifestyle for you to live, to be a good Christian. And then somebody comes from the outside and says this whole lifestyle's wrong you're doing the same things. There's got a, there's a better way. There's, there's other ways to approach that and to bring about the change necessary. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point because you can't, you know, force anyone to change their way of life based on your outside perspective. But at the same time, people who are born into groups like this, they're not given so many options. And that's what I find often quite, well, tragic in a lot of ways is that there's a lot of human potential in all of these organizations and so many wonderful people who could contribute so much to the world, but they're very limited in what they're able to do with their lives. And they, they are told that they don't have any other options than what is within this group. And I think particularly with groups like this, when, when you're looking at the the gender dynamics at play. We do live in a society which says that gender equality is really important and that when you look at human rights issues, you know, the rights of a child to Mm. get an education to their highest ability and all of those sorts of things, those are the things that aren't happening in some of these organisations. Yes, and I'd agree with you that that's tragic. I don't like to go back and go, oh, I missed out on this and that because I can't change what happened for me, but I've been able to change that for my children. 
but that is what I would look back and go, you know, I'm actually, I'm gutted. I missed out on those opportunities. I'm gut- like, I see my kids flourishing and doing really well at things and the potential in them. And I actually, I see the potential in people in Gloravale. So many beautiful, amazing, talented, smart people that actually think that they're really stupid. And I did. Like I grew up being from the dumb hope family. That's who I was in school. I was just one of the dumb hope kids. And I would never do well at school. And I worked my butt off because I wanted to, but that's who I was, you know. And that makes me really sad. And I'd agree with you, that is a tragic sort of an outcome of these kind of groups where they take people's individual talents off them or don't give them the ability or the opportunity to to flourish within those. Yeah. And actually in Gloravale, this is an interesting point. If you like something or if you're good at it, you're actually probably sent in the other direction often because in their belief system you should suffer for Christ, which, you know, they've interpreted that in their own way. But if you are finding something really hard, then you're doing the right thing. If you don't like, you know, working on the farm, then that's what you should do because you should be suffering for Christ. So they kind of spin that whole thing on its head and they've not just taken away opportunities for people, they've actually squashed their inherent nature. Yeah. Yeah, and you just think about, yeah, what wonderful things people might be doing that they could be really talented mm. at, but they've been persuaded to. Yeah. And I mean, I even think that for myself, like, what would I be doing? Who would I be? I mean, you know, I can't go back and change it, but it does, like, it interests me, especially when I see my kids, they do really well at sports and they do well at school. And I think, you know, they got that from somewhere. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's exactly right. And so stepping back a little, I know you mentioned that you yourself were born into Gloria Vale or into the community, but what can you tell me about why someone might want to join a group like Gloria Vale? It's mm, a good question. I think if we look at Gloria Vale early days when most people were joining, it was quite different to what it looks like now where nobody's really joining. I think the last person that joined was quite a few years ago and I suspect he's actually hiding from something. He's changed his name anyway, as most of them have. Why someone would join early days, and I've talked to my mum about this as well, And she was in a church where she felt really like there was no growth. Nobody answered her questions. Everything was stagnant and dead. And you stood up and sat down and said this prayer and that prayer. And going to the church at Springbank, as it was then, she felt like there was a lot of, it was progressive. And you were caring for other people. They were giving a lot. They were self-sufficient. You know, they were going in and helping everybody. And it was really exciting. And I think that was a big draw card for people looking to have purpose in their lives, that they were contributing to society. They were giving back to society. They were really helping people that were struggling. They weren't just isolated on the West Coast, caring about only their own. They were actually giving back to society. And it's quite different now. And I can see why people, you know, would get pulled into that. And especially listening to my mum's story and understanding from her perspective that they gave her what she felt like she was missing out on in life and that was really going forward and caring about people and you know they'd they'd buy a whole lot of cars and do them up and give them to families that couldn't afford them and that's an exciting and really cool thing to be part of you know and for young people why wouldn't you (laughs) yeah I I think when I was researching Gloria Vale for the episodes that I put out about the history of the organization I could absolutely see the appeal and it did sound like the promise of the group was really quite wonderful and it just became something else entirely. Yeah, and I think that they actually, I know people have different opinions, but I don't believe that they set out with the intention to end up what they are now. I think that that's like morphed over time and as Hopeful got more control, he became more controlling, you know, and his personality type. And it kind of comes from both sides too. If people give over their authenticity to someone to tell them what to do well then and they take it then it just keeps the ball rolling and they take more and more and more so that's what I think I think that turned into a lot more than I think originally was their intention that's yeah that's so interesting because it's the question I often kind of get stuck on when I'm thinking about all these similar organizations is you know 
how much was the intention there in the first place? How much do they really believe in what they're espousing to be that belief system or how much is just about power and control? And I think I do think it is quite common for these groups to start with good intentions, but if you have a certain personality in the the leader or the leadership, it's just that sort of ego-driven kind of, I suppose it's a sort of narcissism that the more you get people feeding into it and feeding into it, the more you start to exert control and start to believe that you can do no wrong and the ends justify the means and, you know, we we are the ones with access to the truth and all that black and white thinking kind of just comes about as a result of that dynamic and it happens in all sorts of different groups as well yeah, of course. absolutely I think that's exactly what it is and I think as you know hopeful with that sort of personality as he gained more control you know absolute power absolutely corrupts and you know it does the more power you get over people's lives the more corrupt I think you become yeah Yeah, that's why democracy remains a flawed system, but probably the best one we've got at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned to me earlier in our email correspondence that many people choose to turn a blind eye to organisations like this, but that if they choose not to, you have some thoughts about what outsiders and ex-members can do to help people get out of a group like Gloria Vale. Could you share some of those with us? So... I think people turn a blind eye because it's, well, I guess, organisations and governments and that because it's too hard, especially when there's a lot of money involved and they can buy people off. But I think when people leave especially, so well, let's take Gloria Bell. When you leave, they want to cut you off. And that is because they believe that your influence, if you have anything to do with people is still inside, you know, you'll influence them to leave, which, you know, it's probably true in a big way and so they want to cut you off and the leaders say you know no more contact get rid of their photos get rid of their clothes like get rid of anything that actually don't don't even speak their name so in fact if you leave they're still controlling the narrative that's told about you and who you are they can paint you as the most evil disgraceful wicked person and so they're still controlling that narrative about you as well as they take that about you and then feed that into your siblings and your parents and then that becomes who they are as well. And so when people leave, I think it's really important, as hard as it is, to not let that become the only narrative that the people inside are still hearing. That might be easier said than done. When when we first left, it probably took us about maybe six months to go back up the first time. And then, you know, it was probably another six months. And my husband was going up more than I was. But I think it's really important that you show them who you actually are. And that consistent, you know, like, we just went back in. And it wasn't nice. And we got yelled at. And we got stopped. And we got, um, there was violence, you know. My husband got dragged across paddocks. And, you know, it just, it wasn't nice at all. But... It's important that they see that. And there's this one story, I'll just use it as an example. So we'd gone up, I hadn't seen my parents, I hadn't seen any of my siblings for a year and a half. Every time I went up, they seemed to magically disappear. And we got stopped before we actually got up there, blocked off with lots of vehicles and, you know, all the men were there. And I'd bought a present for my mum and gifts for the family. And my husband was carrying a whole lot of the gifts and they just, they grabbed them off them and threw them away literally out into the paddock and then we waited for seven hours and there was arguments and whatever going on and basically I said to the leaders I'm not going until I see my family and so they said well they don't want to see you and I said well they can tell me that to my face so they ended up bringing them down in a van and I had this gift for my mum and I handed it to her and my sister took it off my mum and said we don't want stuff from you you know we don't take stuff from heathens. And she was trying to hand it back to me. And I said, no, I'm not taking it back. Give it back to mum. Because mum had taken it from me quite happily. And then Hopeful walked up and he says to me, he goes, you need to accept charity. Your sister's trying to give you a present and you're not accepting charity and love from people you know, that love God. And you need to accept that gift she's giving you. <laughs> he thought that she was giving it to me. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, perfect. Here we go. And I said, so that gift there, she took off my mum and I just gave it to her and she won't let my mum have it. 
and he was like, oh, 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 oh kind of, oh, it's really stuck. And so he had to make my sister give it to my mum. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it after that. But it was a very public show, and, and I think every time I go up, I try and find some way I can show love. I take something up, even if it's just a block of chocolate or, you know, something that I know that they really like, cheese, butter, just things that we buy out here that they make themselves that is really special to them to get from outside. And I try and find a way to show love, tell them I love them, even though, you know, like I might give them a hug and I don't get the hug back. I get arms by their side. There's been times where they've like put my family in vehicles and driven them off. And so I go away and come back the next day. I try and spot my nieces and my nephews and I'll just say, hey, I'm your auntie, I love you, you know, and give them a hug. And these are just little kids. And so I think it's it's really important, as hard as that is, to just keep feeling like you're giving and giving and giving, and you're not getting a lot back most of the time. It makes a difference over time. And since I've left, four more of my siblings have left. And one more, I think she's on her way out, with 13 kids. And, and nieces and nephews have left. And my husband's whole family has left. His parents, you know. And so I think the leavers have a big responsibility to the people that are still in there not to walk away and not to carry on being controlled by the same leaders that controlled their whole lives. They can't let that carry on. They've got to say, you know, enough's enough. You're saying I don't love my family? Well, I'm just going to show you that's not true. I do, you know. And it makes it makes a big difference. And even for me being in there as a kid, when people came in from the outside and they might say, like, hey, what's your name? Like, actually ask you what your name is and how are you going or what do you do? And people from outside that aren't involved, that's how they can help. Actually take notice of the individual. Ask them about themselves care about what that person is doing and who they are and and I can remember just feeling like this sense of oh somebody cares about me (laughs) because nobody cares about you as an individual within a system like that you are part of a running machine and if you don't turn the cogs at the time that you're set to do it then life gets pretty rough pretty quickly yeah so I don't know. I hope that answered some of the question. <laughs> it did. And just to it, ask again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's incredibly inspiring. And but also like for me to imagine how difficult that must have been for you. I mean, it it's essentially kind of re-traumatizing yourself every time you go back there because you're just offering love and trying to say who you are and and trying to reach out to people who you care about and just being rejected and rejected and rejected I just think it's amazing that you kept doing that I think that that's pretty incredible yeah it, it's hard and I'd say probably alongside of that that it's important to have people outside that have got your back because there's been so many times where I've just gone oh I can't do it again or but then there's people that are encouraging me along the way or people that have come up with me like been willing to come and you actually just you know stand beside me they might not say anything but they're just there for support and I think that's important too, to have people around you that are willing to come with you. And we've been able to find people like that. Like, it's been amazing. And then there's been times where I haven't felt like I can do that, but then somebody else can, you know? And I think if we all playing our part, it helps. <laughs> and the more people that do it, the more people that will do it, do you know? Like, because people that are leaving now have seen us doing it, then they're going to have that courage to do that as well for their own families. And as you say, it's really, I mean, that evidently has been the thing that causes that little shift in someone's mind to see that there's a divide between what they're being told someone is like and that they're a heathen and that they're evil or whatever they're being told and the reality of that person being kind and caring and continuing to show up. Yeah. And and even as a kid, I can remember people coming up from outside. Okay. So we're told that all outsiders that don't live at Gloryvale are going to hell you know we're the lucky ones we're the ones that have got all the treasures in the world and these people are just you know awful terrible people don't care about anybody else they live a really sad life and then when people come up if they are really kind and caring 
which most people are, you know, in one way or another. I can remember one lady bought a box of favourites and she bought enough for all the families to have one. And those little things, and I'd sit there and think as a kid, but they're meant to be bad. You know, how does that how does that work? Because you know, they're doing something good or they're doing something nice for me. And how does, you know, it just, it does. It just starts those little things to think, oh, this doesn't line up with what I'm being told because that person's not who I'm told they are. Yeah. So actions speak louder than words. Yeah. And so what can you tell me about the work that you've been doing with others since you departed Gloria Vale and what you're aiming to achieve with this work? Okay. So there's always more I can do and there's always more I want to do. (laughs) But what I've been doing mostly for myself is telling, I guess, my story. And the Royal Commission was a really good thing, I think, for a lot of Gloria Vale people. So I went to them and I gave them my statement. Then I've been able to reuse that statement across other agencies, other organisations. So that's been really helpful with not having to retell it and retell it each time. And so I've encouraged, or I did when it was still open for that, a lot of other people to do the same. And I think we had 60 ex-members go to the Royal Commission so that was great other than that we've been doing I've been part of the employment case I guess I just try and do everything I can and whether that's supporting people as individuals or just so when people leave especially if they're family or if they've been friends I'll try and make sure that I get to see them you know go and help them and I don't know just hang out that's really important is reconnecting as part of the trust, which we're helping, you know, resettle people, I guess, there's a lot of physical and, you know, just day-to-day needs. And then other than that, we try and help people liaise with lawyers if that's what they want to do, get legal support where they need it, financial support, counselling. Actually, that's a big one. The counselling, I feel, we're still missing a lot because you need someone trauma-informed. And a lot of people that leave Gloryville, well, they either want someone who's a Christian or they want someone that's not. Like, it's kind of that very clear, like, I want someone who understands the Bible so I don't have to explain everything that's ingrained in me. Or there's, like, I don't want anything, I don't want to hear anything about God ever again. And so we get both. But it's really important that the counsellors are, yeah, trauma-informed, which is really hard to find. And then there's also kind of the side to it of the financial side which we can get funding, six free sessions through the um, the Centrepoint Trust that got set up, which is really good. But then a lot of people can get ACC-funded counselling as well. But it's actually getting them to talk, which they have to do, and that's really hard. And then finding a counsellor and then finding someone who's not just going to go, wow, that's so fascinating, or, you know, and you just go, I'm not saying anything to you. <laughs> so... I feel like that's kind of the direction I really want to head in now is finding counsellors, helping that kind of that process of leaving and finding someone for that person, getting the funding because nobody can pay for it when they leave. They don't have money, so they're not going to pay for counselling. And two, they don't believe they need it for a start. So, yeah, that's a big one that I want to look into a lot more. Yeah. yeah, I've heard that story so commonly about trying to find an appropriate therapist. And I mean, it's it's just, it's hard enough to do for your average person with their average issues to find someone that's yeah. a good fit for you. But then this is such a specific experience to find someone who you can speak to who is trauma-informed and understands coercive dynamics and all of those things. It's incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think that's a huge problem here as well. Yeah, um, I'm hearing of more people who are qualified in those areas and, and more programs that are training therapists. Yanya Lalich through the Lalich Center in the US, she I believe is going to be offering more courses in training therapists in that area as well. So I think that there are some developments there, but I do I do see the need for that for sure. Mm. And if on the one hand, you know, some of our societies have just decided to accept that these organizations will operate in the name of religious freedom or whatever it is, people's ability to choose what they want to choose to do with their lives, then to me the very least we can do is actually offer support for those who exit and not just leave them 
struggling with their trauma and with without any financial means to to be able to build a new life for themselves. I just think that's really lacking. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I feel like that's a huge thing because your life is lived in your head a lot. And if there's a lot of damage done, then you're not actually able to start your new life, really. Or you kind of go two steps forward, three steps back. I know that's what it feels like a lot. So I feel like that's a big area that needs looking, you know, more and more into and a lot more education and that sort of thing around having people and support systems set up for when people do exit. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah, and on on that front, I mean, the work that the Glory of Our Leavers Support Trust does over there, just I'm such a huge fan and it just seems so incredible. And it's I know how many leavers are involved with that work as well, including yourself. But I do often think about how that's a very specific organisation that's focused on a very specific group being Gloria Vell and how do we replicate that so that similar organisations can offer similar services on a wider scale. And even in that case, obviously, there does still need to be more support offered. Mm. But I do think, yeah, the work that the Trust is doing is really fantastic. Yeah. I think I think it can be replicated in other ways. So as a trust, what we're trying to do is empower people to be independent. So we're showing, not doing. We are encouraging, not taking over. And if you look at that kind of model and go, you're getting alongside that person and showing them a better way without taking over their lives, which is what they've come from. And then the linking with agencies, that's been really important, becoming kind of a trustworthy source where agencies will come to us or say, you know, like, we want to do this, what would be your advice? You know, we've got to that position where they do trust us to some extent, you know, obviously there can be more always, but I think that's a really important thing to look at is linking with government agencies and all the different support groups and really starting to kind of link that up so it's not like, oh, there's, you know, this over here and something else, you know, the silo effect, we kind of drawing a line between them all, which has been really helpful. Yeah. So that's something that can definitely be replicated for other similar groups, I reckon. And I think actually, Lindy Jacob, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's setting one up. I've actually, yeah, I interviewed her for the for oh. the podcast about the Plymouth Brethren, well, exclusive Brethren, Plymouth Brethren I Christian heard Church. One. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's amazing. And she worked closely with the Gloria Vell. Yes. Go on, tell us more about it. No, it's think, amazing what she's I don't, doing. I don't know a whole lot, but I do know that she's setting up a similar trust and she's yeah, been in a lot of contact with helping to get her one set up based off our sort of the model that we've used and yeah. Which I think is amazing because the exclusive brethren is another whole <laughs> that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll actually, I'll link to Lindy's organisation in the show notes as well. Mm. And yeah, so her organisation, I think, is also looking more widely than just the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, Mm. but it is focused on former members of that organisation as well, because that's her specific experience. Mm. But yeah, she's she's doing some incredible work. Yeah, she is. It's very incredible. The other thing I was going to say, you know how I said about linking with other agencies, because there's lots of funding for specific things you know like maybe so you know like that counseling one from the now I've forgotten the name of that Auckland cult center point center point so we've been able to access that and that's really helpful and and then there's another one too like an education funding that we can access and I think if you can find ways to access different funding that's kind of for specific things but it comes through the trust so that it's able to be distributed to those people in that specific group. That's really helpful. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. You mentioned how cults still control ex-members by not letting them back in and by limiting or monitoring communication with family, amongst other things, but also that they exert control over business associates, governments and outsiders. And I wondered if you could give me some examples of this and what you think needs to change in that respect. Mm. I think first up, say somebody inside a group like that goes to the police with a complaint. And then what typically happens is the police go to Gloravale and they ask to speak to that person. And who do they ask? They ask the leaders. They ask the very people or, you know, people that are the abusers. And so that's got to stop happening. 
because that just happens all the time. And then the leaders control what those agencies find out. And I know from experience, and they'll take you aside and, you know, you'll get in big trouble for what you've said. You'll get told what you're allowed to say. They'll put recording devices on there They'll or they'll send somebody else in to make sure that you stick to the narrative that they've said. So that's a big one that's got to stop. Stop going to the leadership to get to the people, the general person. You know, like some of these people are 40 years old. Why can't we go directly to them? So that's a big one. The way they can control businesses, I think, and here's another story too from Gorebale. So Phil Cooper, when he wrote his book, Sins of the Father. And that's that's Neville Cooper's son, Hopeful Christian's son. Yep. When he released his book, it was sold in a number of different places in Greymouth. And Hopeful went around those businesses and pretty much said, if you don't remove it from your shelves, we won't support you. And some of them wouldn't. And the warehouse was one of them. So we didn't shop at the warehouse for years and years. We weren't allowed to set foot in there. You know, and other businesses removed it. He just, he used that as leverage. You sell that book, we don't buy from you. And good on the warehouse. <laughs> I guess they're a big enough company to be able to go, you know, we don't need you. Yeah. But hard on a small business. And they'll use that sort of leverage on all sorts of businesses, you know, that or they know something or you know, we can give you this if you give us this. And small businesses need support. Gloribel is a big part of that local community financially. So a lot of those businesses needed their support. But I think really government agencies going in have got to stop going to the leadership because it's the leadership that have done a lot of damage. A lot of them are the abusers. And if we keep going to them, we're still taking away from the individual. You know, like it's as simple as, you know, a dad might have made a complaint about his child. Why am I going to another dad to find out about this? Go to him. Yeah. And give him the same rights as anybody out here. You know, you don't go to the mayor of a town if, you know, there's a child being abused in a household. You know, you go to that to that family. Yeah. So I just got to look at it like that. <laughs> Yeah, and in that sense, it seems odd that they're doing it in the first place. I mean, why? Yeah, mm. but but they do, yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think you've covered this a fair bit, but there might be something else that you might want to say as well. But what are the most effective ways that you think we can assist those who've come out of organisations like Gloria Vale? Mm. Well, initially, there's always, you know, your kind of day-to-day physical needs, and those are actually the easiest ones to help with. It's the long-term help that's needed so someone who comes out of Gloria Vale there's a lot of spiritual abuse so it's even you know they might not choose to carry on being a Christian and that's absolutely fine but they still need someone to be able to come alongside them and care about that side of them so I think what people can do is really just get alongside people if there's someone in your world that you can support be their friend you know they might need work support mental health support, finding a doctor, those kind of things are really hard to to figure out when you're leaving, especially because when you leave, you're so overwhelmed with, yeah, it's that spiritual thing of, have I done the right thing? Am I taking my kids to hell? Am I taking myself to hell? That you need people to just kind of, you know, be alongside you. Like I had someone who used to come and take me to town every week to get my groceries because I couldn't drive. And she took time out of her week to do that for me. And I like I can't I can't value that highly enough. So if there's ever of an opportunity where you can get alongside someone and just, you know, you might take them for driving lessons. Another one of your friends might go take them out for coffee. Another one of your friends might help them set up the kids, get them enrolled in a school, you know. But it's all those kind of practical things and then yeah, spiritual is a big one because you're so damaged. <laughs> you're so damaged about what you what you think about yourself and where you fit in the world and that sort of thing that you really need people to encourage you and say, you know, like I can remember someone saying to me that I was a good mum and then that was the first time I'd ever heard anything like that and I thought, oh, you know, it just it lifts your spirit where you really need it. So being encouraging and supportive in whatever way that people can is really important. 
I think that's really wonderful advice. And there's, you, you know, there are so many of us on the outside who just don't maybe know where to begin. So I think those those day-to-day things could mm. be an easy place to start really. Yeah. And I think to, alongside that though, I'll just add that some people can try and be supportive and they have a really well-meaning heart. But so because you've come from somewhere that people say, do this and you're doing it right or do this and it's wrong, you know, it's so black and white that when you leave, you need people to kind of suggest have you thought about putting your kids in school or there's this school and this school and this school and these are the fees, but not, you need to send your children to the Christian school, you know, (laughs) or you should be homeschooling or you need to go to this doctor because it's the only doctor that's the best doctor in this town. You know, you, you need people to really empower you to give you those options, help you make good decisions, but not do it for you. So just to add a little but extra to how you support people. Yeah. That makes, yeah, that makes an awful lot of sense. Absolutely. Mm. And even the most well-intentioned person can sometimes (laughs) not have considered how that may impact someone who's been through an experience. I mean, and even for me now, like I've been out 10 years and someone can leave and and it can be frustrating and I can go, you know, you want to just say, oh, I'll do it for you. I'll fill in that form for you. But, But no, don't do it. Support, help, encourage don't do it for them. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that was a really good point that you made when you were talking about the work of the trust is that the main focus is helping people to become independent. Mm. That's got to be the focus because they've had that taken off them. Give it back. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think that is all of the questions that I had for you. So was there anything else that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about? I don't think so. I think yeah, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've covered it all. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to to share your experiences and all of your knowledge in this area. I just think it's wonderful that you're able to take such a, you know, such a damaging experience from your past but use it to try and help others as well. I just I think it's fantastic. So I really appreciate you sharing that knowledge with us today and speaking with me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. And yeah, I just, I think it's, it's just burns in my heart. It's so important to me that we don't just keep tuning out damaged people. And that's why I speak up. I speak up for those kids still in Gloravelle or in communities like that. Yeah. I know what it's like to grow up in there and I, I mean, that's why I took my kids out. I didn't want to see the same things happen to them. And so that's the reason I speak up. It's for those kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard watching people keep putting it in the too hard basket and, and mm-hmm. turning away from it. So I think we need to to turn towards it and really figure out what to do about these kinds of situations. And I think, yeah, we can, we can all play a part. We can all do our own little thing. It makes the collective work as a whole yeah so yeah everybody every individual in their own different way can do something actually I just thought of something oh please (laughs) please you know when we're talking about turning a blind eye I think like I've noticed it too and outside of Gloravelle so I've seen somebody in an abusive relationship and you know how you can suspect something but you don't want to think bad if it's not there and I think the same can apply for Gloraval, you know or an abusive relationship or somebody who's in a situation that appears to be unhealthy actually go and ask find a safe way take someone with you because it's better to get that person help than you know for something really damaging to happen and it's easy to go oh like what if it's not what if they're fine what if they are actually happy and just carry on with our lives. But it's so much better to actually find out, are they okay? Do they have the support they need? What is actually going on there? So for relationships that you see that you think, you know how you see things and you're just like, oh, I don't know if that, that looks right. It's actually better to go and find out. Yeah. Just an encouragement for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a really perfect note to finish on that every single one of us there's something that we can do to help Mm. if those who have been through these 
traumatic experiences that you and others have are able to find it in themselves to do the work that you're doing, then surely people like me who've never had to deal with anything like that can do a little bit too. (laughs) (laughs) I think when we've experienced it, we can be a little bit more aware of it or aware of it early on. Like you see signs and you think, oh, that reminds me of something. So there is that side of it that maybe those of us who have experienced stuff like that are maybe, you know, slightly more aware. But that's why I think it's important that we speak up so that more and more people are aware and know the signs and know what to look out for and and know how to help in those situations. Yeah. Well, it makes a huge difference hearing from people like you and, and your stories. So thanks again, Rosanna. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Huge thanks to Rosanna Overcomer for speaking with me for this episode. There are links to all of the resources we mentioned in the show notes. You can access ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon. Patreon.com slash LTASpod or with a one-off donation or merch purchase. You can also grab a copy of my book, Do As I Say. The link's in the show notes. This episode of Let's Talk About Sects was written and produced by me, Sarah Steele. Music was by Joe Gould, and it was edited and mixed by Matt Brazel. Information sources are also listed on the episode page of ltaspod.com. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult, or would like to support those who have been, you can find support with or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via cifs.org.au, and you can find resources outside of Australia at icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at iasp.info. Thanks for joining me and hope to catch you again next episode. Hi there, it's Joe. I am the composer of the theme that you hear at the top and tail of every episode and all the other music throughout the show. Sarah's given me special permission to use a mic, yay, and let you know that my debut album is out. It's called Nobody Joins a Cult, and it's available via Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, most places that you find your music. It's an instrumental album, kind of post-rock, built from all the music I've made for the show over the past few years. I'd be honoured if you'd check it out and spread the word if you enjoy it. Just search up Joe Gould, that's J-O-E-G-O-U-L-D, Nobody Joins a Cult.